everyone, and welcome to another episode of Convincing Coffee Break with me, Mandy Brown, and Richard Snape. Hello. Today, we're going to be talking about Section 84 of the 1925 Law of Property Act, and specifically a couple of recent upper tribunal cases called Keach and Coleridge and the case of Cross and Coachhouse Muse. Richard, to start with, can you tell us about the background to Keach and Coleridge case? Yeah, well, first, it is about sort of uh, Section 84 of the Law of Property Act, which uh, allows discharge of uh, restrictive covenants or modifying uh, restrictive covenants in whole or in part uh, on various grounds. And it's uh, it's much litigated. And I thought I'd talk about these two cases, either, either side of Christmas, because they are illustrations of uh, how it's used in very, very everyday circumstances. So shall I tell you the background to, to Keach and Coleridge to start off with? That would be very useful. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, it, um, the, the background is it, uh, it was a cul-de-sac with seven bungalows in it. Uh, I think the, the law report calls them single-storey houses, but I think they're bungalows. And they were open plan. They were built in the 1980s and 1986 and initially sold in 1986. And the sellers were a company, a defunct company, and I called Burford and investments who were set up so Burfield I think it was investments who were set up by uh, three individuals uh, for the purpose of do, uh, selling this these properties and the, the Keaches, Mr and Mrs Keach actually bought in 2010 didn't live there for seven years because they worked and lived abroad but in the meantime they'd uh, made a successful planning application for, for an extension and converting the double garage into a single garage and sort of uh, you know, sort of additional groom. They actually made a, another planning application with East Northamptonshire's council. The place I should perhaps mention, the place was in, in Great Addington, which is a little village near Kettering. They made this uh, application, which initially their failed planning application for a further extension and a new double garage. But uh, they finally got the planning permission when they modified it and all they said they wanted to do was convert the... Uh, the single garage into a double garage but and, and incorporate the single garage and this was accepted but uh, there were various restrictive covenants uh, which on the face of it seemed to prevent the actual you know the conversion what they also wanted to do uh, which was the major issue in the in the case actually is they wanted to change the access way you know, It'd be pointless having their planning permission because they wouldn't be able to get to the double garage and they wanted to sort of change the access way across the open plan you know garden if you like that's what the case was all about. So what were the relevant covenants? Well, there were several covenants, but uh, four of them were, I say, relevant and one in particular. I won't sort of quote the thing, I don't think it's the point of a podcast, but the other, the first covenant um, was um, not to build other than a single private dwelling on the premises. And if they were going to build anything together with ancillary buildings, like a garage, that kind of thing, outbuildings. But if they wanted to build anything other than that, they uh, it would be subject to the vendor's consent. Secondly, it was uh, not to run a trade or business in the premises. A third was uh, not to alter the appearance of the building, put any sort of erections or external additions or alterations on the building. And the fourth, which is actually Clause 5, I say the one that was an issue, stated that the space between the, the dwelling house and the road or any private road, the access way basically, had to be kept as an ornamental garden. It's got to be 
open plan. You couldn't put fences up. You couldn't uh, do things like keep caravans or trailers, mobile homes and the likes uh, on, on that particular piece of land as well. Basically, what happened is that when they, they made an application under Section 84 of the Law of Property Act of the Teachers to... Uh, well, discharge or modify the covenants and some of the neighbours uh, objected to the Coleridge's and also what somebody called the Swainsons a couple called the Swainsons four other property owners bearing in mind there's only seven bungalows in this cul-de-sac were going to object but they argued that they hadn't been notified uh, of the application and the initial first instance first tier judge refused to, to delay things whilst they could sort of think about their tactics and the like. So it was just the Coleridge's and the Swainsons who were the objectors. So Richard, can you remind us what Section 84 of the Law of Property Act actually says? Yeah, it's the, it's the well, restrictive covenants are the only property rights which you can go off to the, the tribunals uh, to get them discharged. And there are four grounds, one of them wasn't, wasn't relevant. But the first uh, is... Uh, with A, which is uh, by reason of changes to the character of the property or the neighbourhood or others, any other circumstances which might be material, the covenants are obsolete. The whole character of the, the area has changed since the covenants were imposed. That was one of the things they were arguing throughout. Secondly, AA, which was added at a later stage, which is the most argued ground, is that the restriction impedes reasonable use of the land and doesn't secure to the persons entitled any practical benefits of substantial value. Or it's contrary to public interest. And the other one they were arguing was C, which is uh, the discharge or modification wouldn't injure a person entitled to the benefit of the covenants. And what was the decision? There was a lot of discussion, like a lot of these cases, a lot of it comes down to their individual facts and you know, values and the likes. And so the main issue was uh, well, for all the, all the covenants I mentioned, they decided uh, in the... the Upper Tribunal, the Appeal Tribunal, that the covenants went, went obsolete. They were there, if you like, to you know, sort of deal with density and sort of you know, not have too many buildings on this area of land. And that was still the case you know, as it was back in 1986. So they failed on that ground throughout. They also discussed the sort of lots of cases, including the other one we're going to mention, have discussed it over the years. This kind of um, creeping sort of building, if you like, if you allowed you know, this sort of double garage to be built, then everybody else in the vicinity will want double garages built and so on. If you allow somebody to build an extension, everybody else will be building an extension and you've got to look over the history, uh, you know, what's going to happen in the future and the likes. But uh, they also argued specifically in relation to the Covenant 5, you know, that you've got to keep it open plan, that uh, it prevented reasonable use of the land and didn't secure any practical benefits, and it also, its modification wouldn't injure anybody. I suppose that's when the experts get involved. The um, colleges and the Swainsons employed valuers, which is quite wise, to say that the effect of their on their properties would be to uh, reduce the value on one occasion, between seven and a half and fifteen thousand pounds, and then the second occasion, ten to twenty thousand. You know, the second occasion, they were directly opposite um, the Keach's property, and you know they'd sort of it would uh, the properties were worth about four hundred thousand pounds each. That was the valuation, so it's quite a significant uh, reduction in the value. And for that reason, the uh, upper tribunal decided that well, there was. The restrictions did impede reasonable use of the land. It's reasonable to use the land and have a double garage for yourself, but it did secure practical benefits, you know, in terms of the 
visual effect of these things and also the environmental effect. And those benefits were of substantial value. It's a you know, substantial part of the value of the whole of the property was going to be reduced. Uh, so none of the covenants were modified or discharged. And they also said that, see, there's, uh, nobody's going to be injured by this. It's just the sort of narrow version, if you like, of AA. Because uh, they failed on AA, they're, like, they're going to be fail on the sea as well. So they... Looks like the Keychairs will not get their double garage. They'll have to leave their cars in the driveway. It is a good illustration of the sort of everyday stuff. You know, it's not always about big development sites. It's a lot cheaper to go to the tribunal systems than it was years ago. That's really interesting. And finally, can you briefly tell us about the Cross and Coach House news case? I can. Yeah, this was uh, Coach House News is on Coach House Lane, surprisingly, which is in North London. It's Coach House News Highbury. They're the management company. There's about, I think, 21 properties with the benefit of, of various covenants uh, in relation to this property. The, uh, shall I tell you the relevant covenant in this one? Of course. Yeah, it's, uh, it was a covenant that prevented the erection or material alteration or addition to the external external appearance of the building uh, or erection of any walls, fences, other structures. They, Mr and Mrs Cross wanted to build a, they got planning permission to build a single storey extension. These buildings were three storeys high. I think they the, the, the bottom story was, was garages, was just row of muse properties. They wanted to build a single-story extension. They got the planning permission. Sometimes that's permitted development, actually, depending on the circumstances and the size. But uh, some of the neighbours objected. Three of the neighbouring premises with the benefit of these covenants, plus the, um, the management company, Coach House Muse, objected. And that's why they went off to the tribunal. And they were arguing, uh, again, AA primarily and, and C. And uh, the tribunal decided that, again, there was a practical benefit of substantial value. You know, the covenant might impede reasonable use of the land, but there is a practical benefit in terms of, you know, this creeping effect as well. You know, once one person gets permission and the, discharge, the covenants are discharged, everybody else might follow. And uh, they would lose an immunity and uh, it would be detrimental to them. So these people failed as well. You can, obviously not in these circumstances, uh, the tribunal can award compensation if the covenants are discharged. It's usually based on lost value of the property. Well, they decided not to do that in the, the first case or the second. And so that's another example amongst many, many. And the tribunals will take into account this sort of creeping development effect, it seems. And they are for tribunal cases, which are precedent. Well, thank you, Richard, for another interesting and informative episode. Mm -hmm. Until okay. next time. Okay. You have been listening to another episode of Convincing Coffee Break, the only podcast for busy convincing professionals, brought to you by Lawshore Insurance, the UK's leading provider of title insurance. For more information on our free conferences, go to www.lawshoreinsurance.co.uk, where you can download recent conference recordings.